hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, everybody had a good Thanksgiving, right? A few of you still can't talk. Um, you can't breathe probably still, right? Well, a meal like Thanksgiving, it is a time to remember. And I hope your Thanksgiving was a time to remember with your family and the food and just a great time. During the time of Jesus, special meals like this had already been uh, part of the cycle of biblical feast, and uh, many, many biblical scenes in both the Old and New Testament take a place around meals. Also, in that culture, in that region of the world, hospitality was considered sacred. It was an obligation. So Jesus was no stranger to hospitality. And if you think of how often the Gospels portray him as a guest at feasts and banquets, even though his disciples you know, they left everything behind to follow him. I think they had some pretty good meals on, on the journey. And, and Jesus, here's what he would do. Often he would tell parables about banquets, weaving the stories about guests who refused a dinner invitation or who didn't dress appropriately for the banquet or those who chose the wrong seat at the table. So using the meal itself to teach a lesson, he usually told parables at the table. In fact, Some of the most cherished words were uttered at the meal he shared with his disciples the night before he died. And that is the remembering table. And that's what this message is entitled. We all know it as the Last Supper with Jesus. And we're going to remember this table today by participating in communion, all of our our campuses together. But I want to talk about communion. Communion is something that many of us don't fully understand. Communion is priceless. And, and, and we have to understand, why did Jesus institute this table? Because many in the church, we just think, well, it's for us to remember, to stir our memory, our carnal remembrance. But Christ said, do this. So we need to remember to do this, and it's something that's in our mind. So we simply, you know, we, we, it's simply bread, and it's a cup with juice in it, and there's nothing else going on. Well, I've become convinced over my life, especially as a pastor, to study and to look into what's really going on at communion. And I'm convinced that the real presence of Christ is in communion. I I had to know what takes place and what's happening at that table. Now, depending on your church background, you may be familiar with the term Eucharist. Uh, it is, in fact, it's, a bibl- it's in the biblical text where, where the Bible says that Jesus, he took the bread, he blessed the bread, and he broke the bread. That is the Greek word, eucharisteo. Today, when, when, when we, we've come to a time together as a church where we're going to take the bread and the cup, and you can call it the Eucharist or communion, either is okay. But I want to reevaluate what we believe about this moment of the Eucharist. I believe Jesus is the Eucharist. I believe he is fully present at this time of taking the elements of the body and the blood of Christ. I believe he's there. And the church, in the Western world especially, has lost this thought of viewing him being there and present. What what happens a lot today is we look at it and we just simply think, okay, well, this is just simply some food, unleavened bread that doesn't taste good, and, and drink, and juice, and it's not going, it's, it's, there's nothing else going on here. It's just a formality. It's something I need to remember to do to walk through. There's no heavier meaning to it. It's just taking in food and drink. Well, there are several scriptures where this thought is addressed. We're going to look at one of those in 1 Corinthians where Paul is writing directly to the church at Corinth, and he speaks directly to this thought of treating the Eucharist simply as food and drink. 
Now, as I read this, I want you to pay attention that Paul's very frustrated, and rarely do we see this in Scripture, so watch for the frustration. 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. Now, this is Paul. Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you. Not getting off to a good start, is it? Since you come together, not for the better, but for the worst. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. Then I'm going to drop down to verse 20. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of the others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Then verse 29. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So let me summarize what Paul just said to to the people at this church. You've treated this as food. And you come in and you say, oh, look, there's bread. I'm hungry. Oh, and there's wine and I'm thirsty. And so I'm going to take some on eat and drink. And some of you have eaten a whole lot more than you should. And some of you are full. Some of you drank a whole lot more than you should. And you're drunk. And some haven't had any at all. Don't you have your own houses? This is the place you go for food and drink is at your home. This is not the place for food and drink. And so the problem, he says to the people, is what you're doing is you're not discerning the Lord's body. You're not using your discernment to realize that he is here and he's present in this moment. We should take Christ seriously. We should take it seriously when Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood, and for that you drink judgment on yourselves because you do not discern his body. And of course, we know the story in John 6 where where Christ said, if you do not eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you shall not spend eternity with me in heaven. And they said, oh, that's a hard saying. I mean, it is. It sounds like cannibalism. Like, you got to be kidding. And after he said that, many disciples, not the original 12, they walk away. They don't follow him anymore. And, and, and so it was very hard for them to understand this. And many people had an issue with what he's saying, and they didn't follow anymore. Today, if you're struggling with this teaching or understanding communion, it's okay. It's okay to wonder. It's okay to try to question what is taking place at this moment? And, and, and you might be surprised to know that Jesus didn't run after them and say, no, 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 wait, 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 forget I said that. Come here, let's talk this over. No, they left, never came back because Jesus said, this is my body and this is my blood. Now, some of you with church backgrounds and some of you maybe have studied this out and you're thinking, I've heard something like this before. Well, the word is transubstitution. Uh, substantiation it, 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 it's, it's a hard word but but it, i'm going to show it to you. It's, it's a doctrine that that says that when the priest blessed the bread and blessed the cup that at that moment physically it becomes his body and his blood the doctrine is prevalent in some denominations and i want to address this because i just said in my opening remarks he is present in that moment so do we believe in transubstantiation. Well, well, no, not here. We don't believe it. Why? Because you don't find it in the Scripture. I can't find in Scripture where a priest or someone can bless the bread and the cup and it physically becomes his body and physically becomes his blood. However, listen, we don't have a right to say he's not present in the Eucharist because he said he was present. At the same time, we have communion, but, but we don't have the right to say that. So, how he is present in the Eucharist. 
Because we don't have a right to say that because he never told us how he was. So we can't take it that far and say, well, we know it's, a, it's physically his body and his blood. But we can certainly say that he is present in that moment because he said that he was. We, we certainly believe he shows up at the moment and is with us. Not sure how he's present. It is a mystery to us, but we know he's present. And it really shouldn't be that hard for us to believe. And let me explain why. Because as you come in to, to, to worship uh, today, you come in to worship and you begin to, you begin to sing. You begin to open your mouth and words are coming out of your mouth. And you begin to worship. Some of you raised your hands in an act of surrender. And when you are doing that physically, something spiritually starts to take place at the same time. So why should it be such a hard thing to believe that in the Eucharist, that while we're doing a physical act of taking the bread, eating the bread and taking the cup, that he shows up in a very special way? And he does, and he's present, and he wants to do great and mighty things in you in that moment. So in this message, I simply want to ask and answer three important questions. Here's the first one. Is the Eucharist a symbol? Is the Eucharist a symbol? Yes, it symbolizes his death and resurrection. Now, I can remember as a child when we have communion, they, they made these little crackers uh, during communion. We'd use them, and they were kind of in the shape of a cracker. It wasn't necessarily a cracker, but, but we would hold it, and then we would break it. And then they would say, well, that represents the same way his body was broken. And then they'd point out the holes in the cracker and say that represents the holes in his hands and in his side. And then, then the bread was on, on top of that little cracker-like bread. It was kind of burnt, and, 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 he was, and they would say it represents he was bruised for our iniquities and for our transgressions. And the juice in the cup, it's, it's, it represents his red blood poured out for you and me. Yes, it carries a lot of symbolism, but when you think of symbolism, you need to think of it like this. Let, let me put it in a category. Let's just say, now, we, we haven't had a lot of rain lately, but you know that we do have seasons where we have a lot of rain. We have flash floods. And let's just say that on, on one intersection uh, that, that you come up to after a flash flood, you notice that there's a stop sign laying over in the ditch. A stop sign. And so you, you're not going to get out and go clean it up and pick it up and put it back in the ground. You, you're just not going to do it. You're probably glad the stop sign's down so you don't have to stop. You just keep going. So that stop sign is a specific symbol for something. The shape, the color, the, the large word. Uh, but you're not going to pay much attention to it. But if you came to that same intersection and, and, and after that storm and, 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 and you see an American flag, like the ones the cities put in the media, and you see an American flag, most of us would stop and pick it up and clean it up and stand it up. Why? Because that symbol does symbolize that somebody died for our freedom. And we have freedom of religion, and that means somebody died for us to have that freedom of religion. So communion, the Eucharist, is a symbol, but how much weight it carries with you should matter to you. It shouldn't just be a memory thing. How much weight does it carry? We should take it in a very special and sacred way because we remember someone did die so we could have freedom and eternal life. Here's the second question. Is the Eucharist more than a symbol? Is the Eucharist more than a symbol? Yes, much more. But because there's so much more taking place than just simply taking in the bread and the cup. The Bible tells us that there were people getting sick and dying because of the misuse of communion. So if it's simply a symbol, why would that be taking place in the church? If it's just a symbol to remember, you're going to a special place one day, you're going to go to heaven one day, why wouldn't we just choose to die and go on there right now if it's just a symbol? 
If it's just a symbol, all of your remembrance of what he did and the anticipation of where you're going to end up going, if that's all there was to it, why, why do we do it at all? Here's the truth. The truth is, it is for here and now. It is for here and now. It's a sacrifice that Christ gave himself for us and right now to come and commune with us in this moment. And then when we take him into our bodies, and there he is and he's present, his body and his blood enters into our bodies. And I can tell you, and you know, you probably know stories too. There's stories of people all over the world that were healed by simply taking communion and believing with faith that he is present and still does miracles and they needed healing and in that moment they received it. So yeah, it's much more than a symbol. You probably remember what we call the the story of the road to Emmaus in Luke 24. Two men are walking on the road to Emmaus and Jesus is walking with them and they did not know that it was Jesus. And he's talking about the prophets and the scriptures and he's explaining things to them, but they did not recognize him because the scripture says their eyes were blinded. And in many ways, that's how we come to church. We come to learn more about scriptures and who he is, and then sometimes he's here and we don't even know it. Our eyes are blinded. His presence is here and we miss it because our eyes are blinded. You see, I believe that Jesus did this story specifically after his resurrection so that we would know what actually takes place in the Eucharist. Because they are walking, watch, they're walking along, they come to the end of the day, and Jesus says, well, I'm going to go my way. And they say, oh, no, 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 no. Come to our home and dine with us at our table. So he went home with them and dined with them. And in Luke 24, 30, and it came to pass as he sat at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. That's the Eucharist. He took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and gave it to them. Then watch 31. And their eyes were opened and they knew him. This is a symbol of sometimes how maybe we feel in church. We come in, we hear the word, it frees us, it helps us, and we want to know more about Christ. But it's in a moment of communion where we can take the bread and bless it and break it. It's in that moment that he can open our eyes and and he can reveal himself to us like never before. And in that moment, we may know him like we've never known him before. To me, the Emmaus story is a symbol for what can take place when we interact with God in communion. And Jesus is wanting to do that in our lives. He's wanting to take the blinders off to show you things in your life to help you be stronger and, and, and accomplish more for him. Here's the third question. What's our part? What is our part? In other words, what can we do in this time of communion? Well, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27, Paul says, Therefore, therefore whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord is an unworthy, in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Verse 28, but let a man examine himself, so let him, eat, let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Paul says, examine ourselves. Now, maybe you have, I have, maybe you've heard teachings on this that are in error. Maybe you've heard teachings that go something like this. You would be in a place where you're going to have communion, and someone would say, you need to examine yourself to see if you've been good enough this week. You need to examine yourself to see if you can take communion with the rest of us. Have you been good enough? You need to evaluate yourself. Have you been bad? Have you been good? Have you got sin? Have you worshipped enough this week to take communion with the body of Christ? That type of teaching is completely wrong. Let me tell you why. If we are to come to this moment and evaluate if we're worthy enough to sit at the table of remembrance and take his supper that he provides for us, I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, there's not one of us here that's worthy of being able to sit at that table. Not one. 
we must be invited by him to sit at the table. In fact, Paul explains what he means by examining yourself. In the next Corinthians book, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, he said, examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith, test yourselves. If you want to know how to examine yourself, it is to see if you believe that there is no way you could ever earn a place at the table. If you want to test yourselves to see if you believe that it is the only by the body and the blood of Jesus that you're even allowed to come to this table and participate in the moment of the Eucharist. Now, in a few moments, we're, we're going to take communion with all of our campuses at the same time. We're going to do this together in our families, and we're going to have a wonderful time of celebrating. We're going to celebrate the Eucharist together. But before I do, I want to tell you a parable. It's not real. It's a made-up story. But I want you to put yourself in this story. One day, you're driving to work. As you're driving to work, you already know what's going on in the world because you're keeping up with it. But you, you know that in a foreign country, there's a new strand of flu that, that is just very contagious and is spreading very quickly throughout the third world countries. And already 4,000 people have been infected by this disease. And, and so the doctors are saying the, uh, all around the world, there is no cure. And, and it's the most certain outcome is death. It spreads around the world, and, and countries are closing their borders to keep, to keep this disease out from getting to their citizens. And, of course, the, the fear is that disease could make it to the United States. And then as you're driving, you hear on the radio, oh, six people in New York City have, have contracted this disease. And then from there, it spreads throughout the nation, throughout our country. And, in, in fact, in a few, min, few months, you find yourself, you are infected with that disease. And it seems like everyone around you is infected with the disease. And you're wondering, what is going to take place in our world? Because there's no cure and it's spreading so quickly. And you may live a week or a month or two or three years, but you're going to die without a cure. Everyone's going to die. And then one day they come along and they say, hey, we've got good news. We've discovered a way to make a cure for this disease. The problem is we need one person not infected. So what we want people to do all over the world is take your family and go to the local hospital and be tested. We have to find one person not infected so this disease can be stopped. So what do you do? You get up and you take your family, your children, and you go to the local hospital. And you get in this long line and you sign up and you go in and they take a sample of your blood. And then they say, go back out in the parking lot. Don't leave because time is of essence. Just wait. And and we're going to find and we'll let you know if that person is at this hospital or that hospital. And so you go outside and you wait for hours and hours and hours. And finally, the doors of the hospital that you're standing in front of, they burst open and a doctor runs out and he's got a bullhorn in his hand and he says we have found the person there is one person not infected and the crowds just go crazy they erupt with a shout and a roar you could hear it all over the world probably and and, and so the doctor says we need so and so to come forth but you can't hear the name because the crowds are so loud and they keep repeating the name but the crowds are so loud you can't hear the name then all of a sudden you feel a tug on your coat And your little boy says, Daddy, they call my name. Daddy, they call my name. And you grab your son and you run to the doctors and you say, look, it's my son. That's the name you called. It's my son. And the doctor says, great, come on inside. We're going to take him and get him prepped for the procedure, but you need to sign the forms and the release forms and do all this stuff. And so you're sitting at a table and you're about to sign something. And the doctor says, but I have to tell you one thing. 
We've verified all over the world. Your son is the only one not infected by this disease. He's the only one that can save the whole world. We found one, but we just didn't expect it to be a child. What, what do you mean? I don't understand. What are you talking about? We didn't expect it to be a child. Therefore, we're going to have to take all of the blood from his body to save the world. And your son won't survive. Oh, doctor. Well, doctor, what, what, what do you mean? What, what, what am I going to do? What are you talking about? How do I give my son? The doctor's going to say, I, I don't know how you do it. But you've got to remember, it's, the life, it's for life for the whole world. There'll be no one left without this sacrifice. Could you do it? Could you give up your child? Could you give up your child to save strangers all over the world? Let's just say you did it for a moment. For just a moment, let's say you did that. And the doctor says, listen, Mom, Dad, you, need, you get a moment. Go, go say your goodbyes to your son. And your child is sitting there wide-eyed in tears and saying, Daddy, what, what's happening? Mommy, what's going on? And, and, and where, where are you going? And why can't I go? And, and what, what's going to happen to me? And why are you forsaking me? Let's say you did give up your son. Save the world. The world's grateful. And the world decides to show that thankfulness by having a memorial service. Oh, but not one, but to have a memorial service every week. Where people all over the world will come in together every week and remember this tragic death, but also remember we all have life because of his sacrifice. So that we can come in and we're going to mourn the child's death, but we're going to celebrate the fact that we have life because of this act of love. And as a mother and father, how would you feel if over time people stopped coming to the memorial services? People start saying, I'm too busy. I, 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 too many things going on at work. My social life, it's full. The calendar's full. I, I don't have time. As a parent, you would want to shout, do you not remember you wouldn't be here without the sacrifice of my son? Now, there is an ounce of truth in that story. The truth of that story is that every one of us was infected by a disease called sin. And the most certain outcome was death. And there was a father who gave his son for you and me. And the son willingly laid down his life for you so you could have eternal life with him and the father. That's the price he paid for us. And we come, City Hope Church, we come today into this communion moment remembering and mourning the death of his life but celebrating the life we have because of him and knowing there would be no other way for us to have life if it weren't for the sacrifice he made. So I'm going to ask you to do something. For the next few minutes, don't leave the room. In fact, I want you to bow your heads, everyone. No one looking. Close your eyes. Please be respectful. I'm going to ask the worship team to come out. In a moment, the worship team will lead us in a song as we make our ways to the tables. You'll see tables all over the room. 
Those of you in the outer sections, if you go to the outer walls, those in the center section can come to the front. Those in the risers can come down to the front. You'll see. There you're going to take the elements, the bread and the cup. And then I want you to kind of make circles with your family in the aisle, anywhere you want to. Just kind of make a circle with your family. If you're alone, then you can, you can find a place where you can just be alone. And, or you can go back to your seats. And as you're going to take the elements, take a moment in your heart and repent because maybe you forgot that there's no way you earned a place to the table. Repent because we are guilty, but because of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, I have a place. I have an invitation at the table of remembrance. And as you're going, ask the Holy Spirit to come and show you some area of your life that you need to see clearly you need to see jesus in that area of your life the blinders need to come off so that you can see what's going in that area of your life so that god can do something incredible in your life whatever you need bring it to this moment of communion so i'm going to pray over the elements and you're going to go during the song and once you have them and your family Someone in your family, preferably dad, preferably the, the, the father, or some leader, someone in your family, you lead the communion with Jesus Christ with your family. You take the time as they sing and they worship, and you let this be a special moment so that Jesus shows up to your family. Lord, we know that on the night you were handed over for suffering, it eventually led to death. We we also know that you said at the Last Supper, you took the bread and you broke it. You blessed it and gave thanks to the Father. And Jesus, you said, eat this bread. This is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. And then Jesus, you took the cup and said... This is my blood, which is shed for the sins of many and for the new covenant. Drink from this cup in remembrance of me. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for that. And we're going to enter into a special time with you today. Amen. Now look at me. Family, church family, this time... It's not for just mourning, but also for celebration of the life we have because of Jesus Christ. And I want you to make a declaration before you get up and before you go to get the elements. Make this declaration. Repeat after me. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. And that's our promise. Go. Take your time. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus.
Church, we say. 